It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome to the Monday edition of Daily Thunder. Little curveball for you. I love to throw curveballs. I sort of enjoy change. It's a funny love hate relationship with it. But uh, on Mondays, uh, typically what I've been doing is giving a session, and then there's three follow up sessions in a in a series that are available online. And what I'm going to do now, and there's multiple reasons for it. Nathan and I have sort of conferred about it, and we're just sort of switching up the way I do Mondays. He does Thursdays. Uh, And we're going to go through a four-part series, but it's going to be spread over the next four weeks. That just sort of gives us a little more space and time uh, to do it. But there's not going to be bonus sessions that you're not hearing uh, here online. But the series will be available online and just sort of collect as we go. So this is going to be a four-part series, and I'm going to dig into the idea of faith very specifically. But I'd like to emphasize one of the key words in it, and that is biblical faith, because there's a lot of ideas of what faith is, even in the church, that aren't biblical. And so as a result, I want to teach on biblical faith. Uh, I have a name for my series, which is Deciding Between the Two. And what you have in the entire idea and infrastructure of Scripture and the idea of faith is this idea of standing between uh, two juxtaposed ideas and thoughts. You have something false and something true. And you ultimately have a lie and you have the truth of Jesus Christ. And so what you are doing when you believe or when you have faith is very, very specific. It's a, it's a mechanical movement within the soul. It's, it's something that is happening within us that is very, very important for us to identify so we know how to foster that movement. And so the name of this particular message is a fun one. Which cologne do you wear? That hopefully will make sense as we progress. Technically, I'm sort of covering up the idea that this has to do with perfume in the Bible. And since I'm a man, it's a little more comfortable talking about cologne. So, but uh, I mean, if you're a lady, you can you can describe this as which perfume do you wear? But uh, I'm going to go with which cologne do you wear? It just makes me feel a little better. Uh There's a principle in scripture that I'll oftentimes uh, bring up when I'm teaching, when I'm discipling. It's very, very important for our global understanding of scripture, and it's called the principle of twos. And it's the idea that there's always a first and a second in scripture, and there's an old and a new. And in the New Testament, Paul is going to use the term flesh and spirit. And so what you have all throughout the Old Testament is this picture of a firstborn and a secondborn. And so you're going to see Cain and Abel. And Cain is going to offer uh, a sacrifice, and so is Abel. And God is always going to choose the second. You want to notate that. And then you're going to have two sons of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac. And you're going to notice that the favor of God is going to rest on the second. You're going to notice that uh, Isaac and Rebekah have twins. And the second one uh, is going to actually be the one that God favors. The second one, is his name is Jacob, but he is going to gain a new name, and it's going to be Israel. Of course, that's very, very important in history. 
And so this idea progresses throughout the ages in the Old Testament. You're going to see two kings. The first king of Israel is Saul, and he is going to be rejected. The second one, David, is a man after God's own heart. And so you're going to see the favor rest upon the second. There's multiple, multiple illustrations of this. But the fact that the Bible is broken up into two parts itself is not to be overlooked. You have an Old Testament and a New Testament. And then in the New Testament, you're going to have a lot of illustrations of twos. So you're going to have like the virgins, uh, and there's 10 of them, and there's going to be half of them that are not going to have oil in their lamp, and the second half are going to have oil in their lamp. You're going to have uh, the the idea of the sheep and the goats, uh, and there's going to be a division point between two. Uh, And so this idea is is replete through Scripture, and it's going to matter in our discussion on faith, because I'm going to create an illustration of twos as we go through this four-part series over the next four weeks. And so let's just jump into it, though, and and start to enjoy this idea of how the Bible builds this concept of faith. First of all, I'm going to start with the idea of the importance of faith. In the Christian workings, it is absolutely critical. And so I'm going to just give you a quote out of my book, The Bravehearted Gospel. It just says it well. Christianity is built on one very basic thing faith. And without faith, there isn't much left in the whole operation because everything in Christianity that matters operates with it. If you want grace, you need faith. If you want to know God's love and live in God's love, again, it's faith that provides the passport. Salvation? Yep. Faith. Victory? Uh Uh-huh. Faith. Holiness? Faith. Righteousness? Faith. It says in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Then again in Galatians 5.6, the only thing that counts is faith faith expressing itself in love. Oh, and yet again in Ephesians 2.8, you are saved by grace through faith. It would appear that a lot rests on this idea of faith, and in fact, a lot does. In this whole gospel schematic, faith is the linchpin. If faith is absent, then the gospel is rendered powerless in a human life. Faith is the sole fuel upon which the gospel spark kindles and sets aflame. So to understand faith, we need to understand how it is made up and how it works. So I'm going to give you a key idea here, and that is that faith needs something in order to be faith. So if something is going to be even described as faith, there needs to be something present. What is that? So here it is. It needs an object of faith. It needs something to look upon and consider impressive. It needs something to trust, something to put its confidences in. It needs an object of salvation. Now, what's interesting is we know in the New Testament that Jesus is going to be that object of salvation. His work on the cross is going to become very central in this idea of faith, that we must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that we must believe in him that we must have faith in Christ. And so this idea of faith, it's like, is that merely a spiritual thing uh, that you can only have faith in Jesus? You can't have faith for anything else? Actually, faith is just a function of the human soul. In a sense, we all have it, but oftentimes it's misplaced. For instance, you can have faith in yourself. I know it sounds terrible, uh, but you can. In fact, many of us do. We have a confidence that we can do something. The object of our salvation, how we are going to be rescued, is that we're going to pull ourselves through it. Some of us can have faith in finances, our money, our career, our investment portfolio. Some of us can have faith in our medicine cabinet. In other words, as long as I know I have that medicine there, I'm fine. Some of us have faith in our morning coffee. I know deep conviction is spreading throughout the Daily Thunder world. So in other words, 
the fact that there is something known as faith doesn't mean it is placed in the proper spot. Faith needs an object of faith. So that's just part of how it works. So I'm going to give an illustration that the Bible itself is going to give. And Jesus is going to go out of his way to take a highlighter pen and sort of scribble over this and say, guys, I don't want you to miss this. I mean, there, every scripture, every, every story in scripture matters because it's in scripture. I mean, God could have said a lot of things, but he is going to take very, very few stories and he is going to put them in scripture. And remember at the end of the book of John, if all that Jesus did was written down, the world could not even contain it, right? So obviously there's a lot of other things that were left out. But when God then puts something in scripture and then multiple times puts it in scripture, and then even in scripture, you see God himself highlighting the story like, hey, take a look at what's taking place here and don't forget it it becomes very, very important to us. And that's where this story falls in. It's, I call it the girl and her treasure. The beautiful picture of faith in action. So Mark 14, 3, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he, speaking of Jesus, sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask. Now this term for flask has all sorts of translations for it. A jar, a container, a box, or just some other options. But she had an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask, or the jar, the container, the box, and poured it on his head. So that's Mark 14, 3. But then look at John 12, 3. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. So we seem to have two different angles on the same thing that is taking place here, and God seems to want us to recognize, sort of zoom in and see this moment. Why does this moment matter? Why is Jesus even going to go out of his way to say, you guys need to hallmark what you are seeing here? I mean, don't get me wrong, it's beautiful. And what this lady is doing, though it is shockingly odd to take something of some such value, I mean, one of the uh, passages in the Gospels is going to say that it was worth a year's wages, that she is going to take something so valuable and she is going to dump it out on Jesus. I mean, it's a little shocking, I have to admit. But, you know, we could move on with the story and, and be fine and just say, okay, that was interesting. But God is going to go out of his way to highlight this story. And the reason it is so important is because it enunciates to us the function of faith. And that's what I want us to pick up on as we go through it. So I want to draw a few things to the surface as we go through this story. The first one is the indignation of the onlookers. The statement could be, but that spikenard is some valuable stuff. So there's two ways of looking at this story. One is with the lens of humanity, the lens of the self-centered individual, the way we all pop out of the womb. We're in a first man condition. And unless we be born again, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So we must become seconds. Remember I said there's always two? Well, in this story, you're going to have two different lenses at which you could look at this story. Remember, I started this whole message is called, which cologne do you wear? Well, there's going to be two options. And so as a result, this, this issue of two becomes very significant because there is really two different lenses at how you could look at what Mary is doing in this picture, in this story. She is dumping out something of great value, and there is going to be indignation in the ranks. So Mark 14, 4 says, and there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? So in this life, there are going to be those that have an indignation 
towards the response of a Christian who gives up everything and gives it to Jesus. You just need to prepare yourself for that. But there's also a way of another way of looking at that, and that is within yourself, there's going to be two different critics of, of this story. There's going to be a part of you that actually identifies with those that had indignation and says, you know what, I understand. I mean, that's a really crazy thing to do. And there's another side that says, boy, God, teach me what this is. I want to know more about this. And there's a, an, a war at, you know, within you. And the, that's what the Bible says. There's two factions at enmity within you. You have the flesh and you have the spirit. There's two. There's two lenses for how you look at what is taking place here. Now, for some of you know who it is that had indignation. And it's important to note, because I'm going to draw that out in John 12, 4 through 5. Then said one of his disciples, remember, this is the same story, just a different angle. Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? It sounds so right and so spiritual. This is actually going to be the response of the firstborn. The second response, which is Jesus, you know, he's, he's ultimately the, the one who is going to show us how heaven responds to this situation. And he isn't thinking the same thoughts that Judas is. In fact, this is going to be the tripping point for Judas. After this occasion, Judas is going to be so disgusted, he is going to go and betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So this is like the straw that breaks the camel's back. So it's not just an important moment in, in history because God chronicles it. It's an important moment in history because it's going to set off a chain of events that is going to lead to the entire purpose that Jesus Christ is here. So... This lady named Mary is going to have this jar, this box, this flask, there's all sorts of different phrases for what this is, and we all have mental pictures of all these things, and it's full of something known as spikenard. What exactly is that? Now, most of us know it's an ointment or a perfume. We've heard that, but let's dig a little deeper into spikenard, and it actually helps us understand what faith is. So I'm going to give it a unique name here, and that is the healing juice. Its technical name in the Greek is nardos, not the most attractive name. And in other words, if any of you are looking to name your child, you know, they're in the womb and it's such a sweet season and you're trying to think, what could we name this little child? And you look to the store and go, oh, wouldn't that be great? What was the name of that perfume? Nardos? I don't know. It just doesn't translate very well as a name, does it? But I'm going to give it an unusual uh, descriptor as the healing juice. And there's a reason for that because that's what it is. See, it wasn't just a perfume. Perfume and the fact that it had a perfume type of smell and it was a very uh, delightful smell is one dimension of what this is, but there's a reason why it is so valuable. And I want to go into that. So let's get a little background on spikenard. Spikenard, the head of a fragrant East Indian plant, which yields an oily juice of delicious odor, which the ancients used, either pure or mixed, in the preparation of a most precious ointment. It is a healing juice used for an extraordinary number of ailments. It is a skin tonic that helps to cure fungal and bacterial skin infections and provides relief from various types of inflammation. This stuff is really amazing. It helps cure constipation. It provides relief from insomnia, stress, and anxiety. It is a perfume and is also an effective deodorant. In addition to that, it treats allergies, fevers, hemorrhoids, angina pain, and varicose veins. This healing juice aids in cell regeneration, the healing of wounds, the circulation of blood and lymph, and the secretion of hormones and enzymes. It's the cure-all substance. Now, some of you are thinking, what in the world? What have I been missing out on my entire life? There's, so there's something called spike dart that does all this? Boy, that would solve all my life's dilemmas. What do you think Mary was thinking? 
You see, this is a very, very precious thing, and it has a lot of value to someone. Now, Mary is probably looking at this from multiple angles. First of all, it has value, almost like an insurance policy. And as a result, if something ever went bad in her life, she would have this box or this jar, this flask of healing juice that has innate intrinsic value to it. And it's a commodity and it can be sold. But also if she got sick, boy, she has a healing juice. She has all sorts of things. If she needs to spritz up and smell a little better, she has this juice. In other words, this has a lot of value to someone like Mary. You see, I'm going to go out on a, a limb here. It's not really a limb because I know uh, that I can support that limb. But I'm going to say that Mary has faith in this healing juice. And the reason I'm going to say that is because I know something about these scripture references which talk about this spikenard, which oftentimes is not seen with the naked eye. You have to dig a little deeper into the Greek and you actually find something there that is going to explain that. But that Mary actually has faith in something. She has an object of salvation, but it's not Jesus. And Jesus is going to come into her life, and you're going to see her make a decision. Remember, this is that's what this whole series is on. And we're going to talk about the decision that Mary makes in this first session, and we're going to talk about how that affects us and our decisions as well. So let's go through a quick lesson in the Greek language. There's three words to help us understand the idea of faith. So to do that, we're going to walk through this story with Mary, introducing Mary of Bethany and her treasure. Mary had something quite special in her possession, a big jar of very expensive healing juice. Wow, what a place to start. I don't know if any of us have something like that in our pantry that we can tote around and say, this is worth over a year's wages right here. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty valuable item that she had. This big jar of very expensive healing juice was the ideal thing to keep stowed away in her pantry, for if ever she fell upon hard times, she could always sell her extremely valuable healing juice in order to survive. So without even knowing it, she put her trust in this big jar of very expensive healing juice. So our first Greek word is pistis. It's a noun, and if any of you read Koine Greek, I have it for you on the screen just so you can feel very smart as you read it. The translation typically is just going to be faith. So pistis equals faith. Mary had faith, or pistis, in her big jar of very expensive healing juice. Mary was introduced to Jesus Christ. When she saw Jesus, she realized that he indeed was the proper object of her faith, so she believed in Jesus Christ. So this second word is known as pistuyo. Now, its, its root is pistis. You can see it, if you're staring at the video of this, you can see that pistis, Pistis and pistuyo are very similar. One was a noun, the first one, and it was translated as faith. The second one is a verb. Now, it's typically going to be translated as to believe, but it's the action of faith. Now, many of us actually get confused because faith and believe are two very different words in the English language. And faith is a noun and believe is an action. And yet, in the Greek, they're the same word. One is just the noun version and one is the action uh, version of it. So it's faith in action. If you have faith, you prove it by this action known as pastuyo. And that's actually very important for us. If faith could turn into a, a verb, like I faithed today, I faithed in Jesus Christ, it would actually sort of help us. Because many of us get confused. If, if, if you say, how are you saved? Well, you must have faith in Jesus Christ. And the next person says, well, you must believe in Jesus Christ. They're both the same thing, and yet they sound like very different things. And that's why I'm clarifying that as we go forward here. 
Mary, in seeing the ability of Jesus to save her, believed, or pastuyoed. Now, I'm taking that Greek word and I'm adding a little English uh, panache to it to make it sound uh, like it makes sense to us. But she pastuyoed in him. She believed. It was an action. And trusted that he indeed was her salvation. Mary realized that to believe in Jesus... She needed to give up her trust in her big jar of very expensive healing juice and transfer all of her confidence to the master of her salvation. This is very, very important in the idea of faith. Imagine that you had a hundred coins and that was your faith. And all of us are going to stick our hundred coins in something. Some of us put that faith in ourselves and our own ability to save ourselves, our own ability to get ourselves out of scrapes and scraps. Some of us put that in our career. And it's like, as long as I have that job, I'm safe and I'm secure. Some of us put it in our bank accounts. Some of us put it in our stock portfolio. Some of us put it in our medicine cabinet. These are all things I've, I discussed at the beginning. Now, for Mary, she had faith in her box or jar or flask of spikenard. And so when she sees Jesus, she needs to recognize, okay, she put a hundred coins into that box. That's where she's put her investment. But what she needs to do is take out those coins and remove the faith and the confidence she has in something earthly. And she is going to stick it all on Jesus Christ. She is going to break it open on Jesus. So this is going to be a very important thing that I'm going to continue to build on. So our third Greek word actually gets us right down into this story, because this word is used twice in the New Testament, or this collection of words, it's a combination of two words, is used twice in the New Testament, and both of those times are in this story. So whenever this spikenard is described, it's actually described with an adjective. And so it's pastikos nardos, if you're seeing it on the screen. Pastikos, you see that word for pistis, and you see pastuyo, it's sort of in there, right? Pastikos, but it's an adjective. And I'll explain what that means in a second. And nardos, uh, I think you know what that means, right? If you've been listening closely, that's actually spikenard. So it's a descriptor of it. So oftentimes it'll say spikenard very costly. But one of the best ways for us to understand it is what it's actually saying. Spikenard, it's the object of Mary's faith. You see, Mary had an object for her faith. Remember, faith always has to have an object. What was her object? It was this very costly spikenard. And so as a result, it's described as pistikos nardos, or the nardos that was the object of her faith. So this is the expensive liquid in which she trusted. And so that's why this, this story is so critical, because you're going to see how she handles her faith in one thing and transfers it to a faith in something greater. So Mary broke open her big jar of very expensive healing juice on the head and feet of Jesus. She gave up her sole allegiance to her previous Pastikos Nardos and transferred her loyalties to a new Pastikos Nardos. Now, I'm using the term Pastikos Nardos as an object of Mary's faith. It's a, it's a perfume or a healing liquid that was the object of Mary's faith. And now I'm going to capitalize it and say she's turning away from the lowercase version of it. I mean, this earthly spikenard. I mean, it's impressive, don't get me wrong, but it can't save her soul. Now she has encountered the living God. She has encountered Jesus Christ. And what is she going to do? She is going to take that faith that she had in that, and she's going to break it open and spend it and splurge it extravagantly on Jesus Christ. And I'm going to call it, capitalize that and call that 
the true pasticos nardos, the true healing juice that is the object of her faith, or even of our faith. Mary had an object. She believed her big jar of very expensive healing juice could save her. But when she met Jesus, she repented of her faith in her sweet-smelling earthly liquid and transferred her confidence to something greater, the healing juice of heaven. You ever thought about that, the healing juice of heaven? Where does juice come from? It comes from taking a piece of fruit and crushing it, and out of it comes forth its life. So when you crush a grape, the life of the grape is called the blood of the grape. It's known as wine. And so Jesus is actually going to give up his very life at the cross, and it's called his blood. And so it's interesting because in the Christian language, the vernacular of how we function in biblical Christianity is we understand that heaven does have a healing juice that we've been given that truly does change our life. And it is better than Spike Nard. I know Spike Nard was very impressive, though. So the healing juice of heaven or the precious and priceless blood of Jesus Christ poured out for her. So let's talk about the healing juice of heaven, the blood of Jesus. Matthew 26, 27 through 28. And he, Jesus, took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus himself is saying, I'm giving you this healing juice. I'm giving you this precious I'm calling it cologne in this message, this precious perfume, this precious symbol of life, what he is going to give of his own life. Mary is going to break an earthly substance so that she can say, I put my confidence in this box of spikenard. It's Jesus. Jesus is the box of spikenard that is going to be broken out for us and wash us, heal us, cleanse us. It is so powerful what Jesus Christ is going to do on that cross. So let's just do a quick uh, overview of what the precious blood of Christ is for and what it's described as in the New Testament. It's for atonement for sin. That's Romans 5.11. It's a propitiation, which means uh, it's a just and satisfying offering in our stead. That's Romans 3.25. It's for our justification from sin. I love the statement, just as if we had never sinned. That's Romans 5.9. And for the forgiveness of sins, Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14, Hebrews 9.7. For the remission of sins, Matthew 26.28 and Romans 3.25 and Hebrews 9.22. For the cleansing and washing from all sin, 1 John 1.7, Revelation 1.5, Revelation 7.14. For the purging of our consciences, Hebrews 9.14. For peace, Colossians 1.20. For reconciliation unto Christ, Colossians 1.20. For righteousness, Romans 3.22, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and Philippians 3.9. For the purpose of saving us from the wrath that will come, Romans 5.9. And for the destruction of the devil, Hebrews 2.14. For overcoming the devil, Revelation 12.11. For redemption, eternal redemption, for the purchase of our very beings, Ephesians 1.7, Colossians 1.14, Hebrews 9.12, Revelation 5.9, and Acts 20. 2028. For the purpose of giving us life within, eternal life. That's John 6, 53 and 54. For the bringing back to life, Hebrews 13, 20. And for sanctification, Hebrews 10, 29 and Hebrews 13, 12. For spiritual and physical healing, Isaiah 53, 5 and 1 Peter 2, 24. For boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, Hebrews 10, 19. For the purpose of enabling us to make our daily, hourly, minute by minute home in Christ Jesus, John 6, 56. That is an extraordinary list. Now, I read for you the list of what Spikenard does, and most of us were thinking, you know, we're going to doTERRA.com and thinking of ordering ourselves a little uh, flask of it. It's like, this is amazing stuff. 
However, compared to earthly spikenard, this is so far beyond. This deals with the inner workings of the soul. This deals with your eternity. Spikenard is nothing next to this. Do you understand why Mary, in seeing the contrast between an earthly object of faith and her heavenly object of faith, is going to literally dump it out on his feet and on his head? So Jesus points to Mary's action. So if you're wondering if this is really an important scene in Scripture, Jesus is going to go out of his way to say, did you see what this lady did? And he makes it clear that her behavior is the essence of the gospel. So listen to Mark 14, 9. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, many of us actually are confused over that. Does that mean when I share the gospel, I'm supposed to share what Mary did? Am I supposed to say, yeah, there was a woman named Mary and she had a, you know, a, a flask or a box or a jar, or a container of spikenard, and she dumped it on Jesus's head and feet. Is that what I'm supposed to say? You see, what she did needs to be referenced. What is it that she did? She repented and believed. And this is why when the gospel is preached in memorial to what Mary did, she has set a pattern in place of the proper response to Jesus Christ. When you see who he is, when you see that he is the Savior, that he is your lone Savior, then you take all other objects of faith, all other Saviors in your life, lowercase s Saviors, and you dump them out on his feet and on his head. You break them open. You say, Lord Jesus, I am so sorry that I've believed and trusted in anything but you. You are the only thing that is worthy of my entire soul's confidence. What did this woman do? She showed us how faith works. So the term repent and believe, very common one throughout Christian history. Modern day Christians oftentimes will sort of throw out the repent side and just emphasize the believe side repentance sort of sounds a little dark and a little, you know, intimidating to people. We don't want to do that. And yet everything about the gospel hinges on this idea. See, we're saved by faith, but for faith to function, you need to let go of that which you were previously believing in. So as a result, it's, imagine that I had a handful of, maybe I should make it both hands. Both hands are just packed full of, uh, of, of grains of sand. And it's, it's so important to me. I mean, this, this, these grains of sand are so critical. And then Jesus comes to me and he has a handful of precious jewels. He says, Eric, I'd like to give you these. I'm like, okay, why don't you set them on top? He says, no, I need you to firmly grip them. You see, my grip is my faith. I'm putting my confidence into something, but it's not what Jesus wants to give me. So what do I need to do to be able to receive what is free? He's given it to me for free, but what do I need to do to be able to receive it? I need to repent. I need to let go of that which my grip is holding. It's holding a false savior so that I can grip what he has to give me. Repent and believe. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. These two go together. You see, to be able to function as a believer, you need to start as a repenter. We are not saved by repentance. We can repent and not believe in Jesus. However, we need to repent and believe in Jesus. So as a result, we need to let go of that which we're holding on to so that we can use this grip that God gave us to hold on to him. 
So one of my favorite illustrations uh, I'm going to bring out uh, is, oh, let me let me read this first. It's not pouring out earthly spikenard that saves us. It's faith that saves. It's believing that Christ is our rightful pasticos nardos that truly supplies us salvation. And when we see Jesus as our lone source of salvation, like Mary, we will gladly grab our jar of earthly spikenard and as an evidence of our faith, repent of putting our confidences therein and pour it out upon him as an offering of worship. So imagine that we have a cup. I mean, we technically have a cup, but I want you to imagine a, a cup that is like glass. It's, you can see through it because there's something in there I need you to see. And it's full of all sorts of poisonous, goopy water. Okay. It's not what's supposed to be in this cup. This cup is us. It's you and me. And yet we're full of something dark and something that isn't supposed to be there. So imagine Jesus comes to us and says, I'd like to fill you with living water. That's what the Holy Spirit is likened to. I'd like to fill you with my water. Oftentimes, many of us are like, could you just dump it in there and sort of maybe we can get a little of it mixed in with our dark, uh, goopy water? And Jesus says, I can't do that. What I need you to do is first dump out the goopy, dark, uh, poisonous water so that I can then fill you with mine. You see, Jesus is going to give us something for free. It's his work and yet we have something that we need to do to appropriate it. And that is we need to let go of that which is currently occupying our hold, or in this case is filling our cup so that we can be freed to receive what is free from him. Guys, as we close this, I just want us to remember that we need to all seek our pantry out. We need to go into that territory in our life and see if there's anything in our pantry that we are savoring more than Jesus, that we are finding confidence in that is not him. And I want us to just all consider bringing that to the feet of Jesus and breaking it open, saying, Jesus, you are the one that is deserving of my heart, my mind, and all my attentions. God's blessings. A lot of us have doctrines, but they're not tied together because we lack a global understanding of Scripture. We lack a global understanding of how to rightly apply it. The kingdom of heaven is based on facts, truth. Jesus Christ himself is the truth. And when you get him right and you know how to rightly appropriate it in your life and you get those tools, then suddenly Christianity begins to shine. It lifts off the page. It functions. It lives. If you have a passion along these lines and you would desire a season just set apart, able to focus on the person of Jesus, I'd love you to consider being a part of a semester here at Allersley. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.